Welcome to another Solid Rock Church podcast by Bishop Larry Ragland, Senior Pastor of Solid Rock Church. For more information and content, please visit solidrockchurch.com. We hope that you enjoy this podcast and you have a blessed day. Today is Palm Sunday and I, you're ready for me to preach a Palm Sunday message. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to touch on it, but i got to obey God this morning. i got to talk about what the Lord told me i got to talk about. I will say one thing that everybody's used to me saying. If you've been to Solid Rock for any length of time, for at least another Easter besides this one, a Palm Sunday besides this one, look at somebody and tell them, thank God. Thank God. You're a donkey. <laughs> look at somebody else and say, thank God. He didn't preach in King James. Some of y'all ain't never read the King James, so you don't know what I'm talking about. But if I was to tell you to tell your neighbor that you were King James donkey, it wouldn't have come out as donkey. That would have that that would have went viral if everybody in this church would have looked at each other and called each other a King James donkey. Although I'm sure some of you probably wish that you could have whoever because of who you're sitting by. Because this is Palm Sunday. This is the Sunday that Jesus was lifted up. And he was carried in. Let me tell you something. This is, we are the donkeys because we are the ones that carry the gospel. We are the ones that carry Jesus to the world. Somebody shout, thank God. I'm a donkey. And the other thing that everybody always expects me to say, and i got to say it too. The Bible says as the donkey came in, they began to take off their outer garments and they would lay them before that donkey. A sign of respecting the royalty of the Messiah coming in. And then another sign of royalty is they cut off branches of a palm tree. And they begin to wave those palm branches as they would a king as he was riding in. They were not used to a king riding a donkey into the temple. They were used to him riding a horse. We're going to tell you something. He went into the temple on a donkey, but he's coming back to the temple on a horse. Oh, hallelujah. A white horse out of heaven. And not just him, but all the host of heaven. The Bible said, we'll be following him back. That's me and you, praise God. And they waved those palm branches and cried out, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Can I tell you that if you hurt your arm and you break your arm, they call it breaking a limb. Another word for limb is a branch. Come on. At the end of that limb is something called a palm. Everybody's got two built-in palm branches. Can I get an amen? Can somebody just wave the palm branches before the Lord on Palm Sunday? Oh, look around at those palm branches. Look around. Can somebody just shout, Hosanna! Because the power of God is going to fall in this place as you receive the revelation of the Galilean wedding. 
as you begin to see what happened when Jesus began his miracle ministry, when you begin to understand who you are to him, that you ain't going to be the bride, you are the bride. And when we get to heaven, it ain't the, it ain't the wedding ceremony, it's the consummation, baby. It's the, it's the wedding feast. It's the marriage supper of the Lamb. I wish I had a church that was excited about being the bride of Christ. And then how about this? How about this? Ain't a single one of you, all the servants and the leaders, not a single one of you, including the praise team and even the sound stage, is going, when it gets to the point of communion, we'll have to do a thing. Because they're bringing their own playlist. They're going to press play on it and let the worship music happen. And everybody's going to be able from Solid Rock Church to get the night to receive as other churches come into this house and serve you the bread and the wine. Can I get an amen? The presence of God is going to fall in this place. Starts at 6.30? 6.30. Wednesday night. How awesome is it that it just happens to be on the night of Holy Week that Jesus sat in the upper room with His disciples and served His own disciples broke the bread, blessed the bread and blessed the cup said I will not drink with you again until I drink with you again in the kingdom of heaven we will remember that he said as often as you do this do it in remembrance of me and we will remember him and then good Friday this coming Friday when you get up every week you're so thankful that it's Friday how about this, this Friday needs to feel a little different to you because this ain't just Friday going into the weekend. This is Good Friday. This is the Friday that celebrates the day. That's crazy to even celebrate a day. That celebrates the day of one of the most horrific scenes that man has ever seen. When the, when the one that had lived the sinless life, the Lamb of God, who come to take away the sins of the world, was hanging naked on a tree. Stuck nails in his hands and nails in his feet. A crown of thorns on his head and a spear in his side. Saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Oh, he said, into my hands I commend my spirit. And he bowed his head and he tied. And the earth shook and the sky went black. My God, and even the man that drove the nails in his hands on that Friday bowed on his knee and said, Surely this man is the Son of God. That's what this Friday is. And then you move into Saturday. When Saturday is your day, you cutting grass. When Saturday is your day, you fishing. When Saturday is your day, when you watching your kids play ball. Don't forget that it was what they call Silent Saturday. When people were afraid. People were thinking that it was over. People were thinking that Jesus was calm. There was no Jesus to hear. There was no Jesus to see. The disciples were hiding in fear. People were running in fear. But what they didn't realize is Jesus was not inside that borrowed tomb. The Bible said, He that ascended Ephesians chapter 4 was also he that first but descended into the lower parts of the earth. He went into hell and he kicked the gate. The gates of hell open on that Saturday. Are you hearing that? And he took the keys of death, hell, and the grave. He took the keys from the devil's own house. He went into Abraham's bosom and he went into all the Old Testament saints. There was David. There was Abraham. There was Moses. There was Adam. 
all that was going on on Saturday. Let me tell you something. There'll be times in your life that it sounds that it feels like God is completely silent. There'll be times that it feels like that He has forsaken you. But God will never leave you nor forsake you. Even when it's silent, even when you can't feel Him, even when you can't see Him, there are things going on beneath you that you can't see. There are things going on above you that you can't see. There are things going on around you that you can't see. My God is working on your behalf. He's kicking doors down. He's taking keys on your behalf if you'll just stay faithful long enough to see the stone roll away you'll know that he did not leave you but if you quit on Saturday you won't know what's going on on Sunday but that ain't what I'm preaching today finish today on Palm Sunday the story of Naaman the leper and his pity I tried to get out of it I tried to tell God I need to preach on donkeys and palm trees because what's happening in the remnant now is not traditional Be prepared, pastors. Said this to me, and I'm saying this to pastors. To preach on the resurrection on Christmas weekend. Be prepared to preach on the baby in the manger on Easter Sunday. Because there's not one without the other. If it's a remnant church, 
And not a church as normal. And a church as usual. I want to tell you something today that you need to get in your spirit on Palm Sunday. The wisest man to ever live, the Bible calls him, Solomon said it. He said it in desperation. And he said it in sadness. And he said it in depression. And how many sometimes you can even get revelations in depression? He can get eternal, hope-filled truths in depression. If you're not careful, God will speak things to you in the darkness that were intended to bring light. But if your mind is not right, you'll receive it as further darkness. So in Solomon's darkest time, God gave him a revelation that was supposed to be an encouragement. But he wrote it for us to hear it in a place of depression. And Solomon said these words. There is nothing new under the sun. Everything is the same. Nothing ever changes. No matter what you do, it never changes. Everything is still the same. I want you to know something. A remnant church needs to understand that the fact that there's nothing new under the sun means the devil has no new tricks. The devil is not doing anything today that he's ever done before. Different than he's ever done before. You hear me, church? Oh, but they didn't have technology. Don't matter. Have you read your Bible? Some of the things they faced are ten times worse than anything you've ever faced. You ain't never been dipped in tar, hung on a pole and lit on fire to be a, a light pole for other people being walked to their party. To light their streets with the burning flesh of those who are singing songs to God. There's nothing new under the sun. And here's the good news. Here's why that's encouraging. If the devil is not doing anything that he's never done before. That he's not doing anything new. That he has no new weapons in his hand. That every single time you read in scripture of him being destroyed, shut down, stopped, cast out, rebuked, and unable to stop the plan of God, the same things that did it then will do it again. Oh, y'all ain't hearing me. That's the problem with the new church. We're trying new ways to stop the same attack. You remember what your mama taught you? Your granddaddy might have taught you? Or you heard somebody say, you don't even know where you heard it first, if it ain't broke, you know that. But now if it's broke, fix it. We got some broke stuff that need to be fixed. But deliverance ain't broken. Salvation ain't broken. The altar ain't broken. Oh, God. 
but the anointing ain't broken. Listen, he said, you lay hands upon the sick and they shall recover. That ain't broken. The Great Commission, go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. And Lord, I'll be with you until the end of the world. It ain't broken. place in one mind and one accord and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting and there appeared cloven tongues like as a fire and it sat upon each of them and they began to speak in other tongues as the spirit of God gave them utterance Woo! and the people out in the street said my God they're already drunk and it's still the morning time Peter stood up and said these men are not drunk as you suppose but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel that in the last days I pour out my spirit on all flesh your sons and your daughters shall prophesy your old men shall dream dreams your young men shall see vision repent therefore at chapter 3 that you may partake in the times of refreshing amen silver and gold have I done but such as I have I give unto thee in the name of Jesus Christ rise and walk and he received the Holy Ghost in Jubilee Paul we have not heard of this Holy Ghost. Receive you the Holy Ghost. And they begin to speak in other tongues as in the beginning. Ain't broke. you gaze it. Oh, as you see him disappearing in the clouds, for in like manner, as you see him go away, so shall he come again. In the last day, for the last trump of God's hell, the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him, with the Lord, and so shall we be with the Lord. He broke. Y'all could at least shout. I'm working ten times harder than y'all. It's all a trap. It's a trick. They stopped trying. They stopped trying to get people to gather while the first church was still here, and they're trying to do it again. It's a trap. It's a lie. Somebody say it's a lie. It's a lie. See, somebody said ain't nothing new. Happy Palm Sunday. The same agendas, the same tactics of the Garden of Eden are being used today. Same exact. You go back and really read the Garden of Eden and the things that the devil said are the same things he's saying today. He started out showing us how he tricks and traps God's people. Let me tell you how he tricks and traps God's people. He uses God's word to do it. He twists it and adds just one little thing or takes away one little thing knowing that most believers don't know the word. So they would have no idea that that one word was added. And they're so full of themselves that they recognize the rest of it. They buy in to the trap. 
did God say about this tree? I know I've asked you that a thousand times, Eve, but let me ask you one more time. Are you, what did God say? And every time, I think she replied correctly. But she replied that day based on things that she had allowed to speak into her life. Well, he said that we could not eat of this tree. We could eat of any tree. We could not eat of this tree. Nor could we even touch this tree. Because if we do, we will die. And let me tell you, when he heard touch this tree, he knew that all his work had worked, had, had worked successfully on her. Because he knew that it's not what God said. God didn't say she couldn't touch it. He just said she couldn't eat it. But, but she had heard him say that back so many times that now she believed it. How I many you can tell a lie so many times you begin to believe that lie? You'll, you'll fiercely defend the lie as the truth. You don't believe people do that? Do you watch the news? We are blinded. Nowadays, by so-called enlightenment. Enlightenment is supposed to mean a light goes on. But the enlightenment of today is when the light got turned off. And they believe they're enlightened because the darkness is telling them they're in the light. Here's how, here's how they feel good about it. Because, because their enlightenment tells them... That God made you the way you are and there's no reason for you to, to repent because there's nothing wrong with you and there's no greater feeling to the flesh than to believe that not only are you okay with who you are but that your Creator is okay with who you are. It, because if, you're, if you believe that the Creator is okay with your sinful decision that you do not acknowledge as sin, even though the Word said it's sin, you'll tiptoe through the tulips for the rest of your life and tiptoe right into hell. It's a lie. It's a trick. You're being programmed to be a leper. Things are falling off of you left and right. But nobody wants to say anything to you like what was going on with Naaman. Naaman was still told every day of his life he was a great man of valor. He was a great soldier. And the man could not even hold a sword anymore because his fingers had fell off. But he could not deal with his own issue because he believed the voices of everybody around him that he was okay. But in the depths of his spirit he knew he was not okay. But he, had, he didn't have the guts to say that out loud. Why would I say that I'm an okay? Everybody tells me I'm awesome. Everybody tells me that I look great. But when I look in the mirror, I do not see what they say I should be seeing. Many people who have been told over and over again that they, that they should not worry. They don't listen to the people telling you that you need to repent or you need to get your life right with God. They pretend to be one thing in front of people, but when they're in the silence of their home and they begin to look at themselves and when all the dust settles and they lay their head on their pillow at night, they are not proud of who they are. Many of them are battling depression, suicidal thoughts, because they know the truth. 
they've got so many that it's hard for them to confront it. But here's what the Bible said. The Bible says, we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says our sin is, and our own personal righteousness is like a stinky, filthy rag. But the remedy is, which is never changed and is not broken, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not just saved. That word saved in, in Hebrew, I mean, excuse me, Romans chapter 10, Romans wrote up for salvation when he says, confess, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God is raised from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That word saved is the word sozo, which means saved, delivered, and healed. God's, God's will is not just for you to get a ticket to heaven. God's will is not just for your name to be written in a book. He wants you walking in victory. He wants you walking in healing. Why are you walking around with a stick? I'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> so he's, he's, he's literally at a place of great leprosy. Which I told you started internally and begins to manifest physically on the outside. Who knows what he looked like? Probably by that time if he'd, been, if he'd had it long enough. To be known and called a leper, he had not just been diagnosed. He probably was missing ears or an ear or a nose, fingers or toes. Maybe even other parts of his body were falling off. He was he was not what he did not look like what they said. And in his in his heart, he's always thinking, I wish I didn't have this. I wish I didn't have to. I could be so much more if I didn't have this. And he overhears. The Hebrew teenage girl who had just been taken captive in the battle with them in Syria talking about a man named Elisha who had the power to heal leprosy. So he goes and he gets permission to go to the house and the lineage of Elisha, the Hebrew people. And he goes immediately to the king thinking that the king, surely if Elisha has the power to do it, he didn't get it unless the king gave it to him. So he goes to the king and says, hey, I don't want to mess with your little prophet because I don't want to hear what he has to say. I'm not here to get a word. I'm not here to be uh, told that I need to follow your ways. I'm just here to get rid of my leprosy. And I was told that you could do it. The king says, I have no power to do it. God, are you setting me up to be killed? There's no, there's no reason for this to happen. You get out of here because, I, I, because if you stand here any longer, the, the, your king, the king of Syria, is going to kill me for not being able to heal you. With the word of the Lord gets to Elisha and he goes to the house of Elisha now listen to me and when he gets to the house of Elisha Elisha knows he's coming Elisha knows exactly what's about to happen and he, he looks at his servant named Gehazi and he says Gehazi go out to Naaman and tell him that I said to tell you to tell him to go down to the River Jordan and dip in the River Jordan seven times and he'll be made, he'll be made whole. So Gehazi goes out and tells him to do that. And when he gets out there and tells him to do that, Naaman begins to be furiously angry. How dare your, your leader, your so-called prophet, not understand who is standing in front of him. That he would send out a low, lowly, I don't know what your name is, peon. To tell me his word. 
I need him. I had already envisioned this in your Bible that he would come out here and wave his hand over me and make me whole so I can get back home to my wife. And then he wants to try to tell me to go dip in the Jordan River. When I got some of the cleanest rivers in the whole world, I have no desire to dip in any body of water in all of Israel. Forget you. He jumps on his horse and he takes off. Gehazi is standing, watching. I want to tell you today, this is why I had to finish this message today. Because Gehazi is where the church is. When the church needs to be where Elisha is. See, Elisha didn't need to be in front of the king to hear the voice of the king. Because God was at the throne of the king. And God spoke to the prophet. The Bible said, do you not understand that, that God does not send anything on the earth that he does not first show his prophets? Some of them are modern day things when God gives us a heads up of what's coming. I still believe in the gift of the prophet. But more than anything, he's already spoken to the prophets that wrote in the 66 books of the Bible. Why you're waiting on some man to tell you what's going to happen. Why don't you open the word of God and I'll show you exactly. He'll show you exactly what's about to happen. Everything he ever said was going to happen and that book has happened. And the things that have not happened yet, look around. You see that they're moving in that direction. We need a church of Elisha. But we have a church of Gehazi. Because when Gehazi walked out of there, he walked out of there with pride. As the chosen one that spoke for the man of God. You better watch yourself being so prideful. Because you got a position that's a little bit closer to the pastor or a little bit closer to the great man of God or you get to do this or you get to do that. You better watch yourself because it ain't about who you sit next to. You ain't some chosen vessel that's better than anybody else. Gehazi was a very proud man. You don't need him to come out. I don't tell you what he said. Now watch this. I'm going to show you that behind everything, Gehazi had a hidden agenda. And the church has always had a hidden agenda. The modern day American church. It's always... What's in it for me? How many times have you heard this said? How many times have you even said it? I just don't feel like I'm getting fed anymore. You know I'm stepping on some toes. 
Well, I tell you what that church used to be. When I used to go there, I used to feel the power of God all over me, but it just don't feel the way it used to feel. Here's, let me interpret that for you. I used to get goosebumps, and I don't get goosebumps anymore because I have to stand at the back door and open the door, or I have to do this and I have to do that, and then I'm distracted from my praise, and I don't get to praise Him like I used to, and I don't get to get what I used to get, so now I'm dead, now I'm dried up, and I tell you what, now I'm just burned out. I need a break. Now what you just revealed, and I don't mean to upset anybody if you ever said that because I ain't talking about anybody in particular, but you need to reevaluate what, what that really means. What that really means is if serving God and serving other people for an hour and a half to two hours of your entire week dries you out and burns you out, that tells me you ain't doing nothing with God through the week. Nothing! Or not. Don't get mad at me. Stay with me for a few more minutes. So he takes off. And we know the story. I preached it last week. If you were not here, the live stream didn't work. Sorry if you weren't here, then you missed it. But he's traveling alongside the Jordan River. Tormented by the by the words, but refusing to get off of it. And alongside comes his servants. They catch up to him and they yell at him to slow down. They need to tell him something. He slows down. And they say something powerful to him. His servants said, Sir, if Elisha would have told you to do something very brave and bold and strong, like to climb a mountain or climb a tower and grab the flag at the top and show your manhood and show your ability to do something that amazing or fight ten men to the death and you were standing, still standing. You would have done it. But he asked you to do something simple. To just step in that water seven times. And you, wouldn't, you will not do it. Why won't you do it? What they were saying is we need you to do it. Because we're following you. And even if you can't see where this is headed, we know where it's headed. We're afraid to tell you where it's headed, but we all know we're not going to have you much longer. And we need you. What is it going to hurt? What do you have to lose? So he dips in the water seven times. When he comes up, his, the Bible said his skin is as, the, as a newborn baby's skin. It doesn't just mean he was healed of leprosy. It doesn't just mean a new ear is where our ear didn't used to be. A new nose is back. New fingers are back. It meant every sunspot, every wrinkle, every scar of every battle he had ever fought. Was gone. His skin went back to the skin of a baby before the first battle was ever fought. Before that, the first sickness ever touched his body. He literally in the Old Testament became a type and shadow of what happens when we are born again. Our old man dies. And it's gone. He's so changed he gets up. It's just like that newborn believer. He can't believe what he's seen. They can't believe what they're seeing. Because they, they've never seen him look like that. His wife has never seen him look like that. Can you imagine the desire to get home and show your wife? 
Can you imagine the desire to get home and show your children? Can you imagine the desire to get home and show the king? But just like the lepers, the ten lepers, they came to see Jesus. And Jesus healed all of them. He said, go to the temple and show yourself. Jesus went on about his way. And as they're walking, one of the ten turns around and says, what is wrong with this picture? I can always go to the temple. But look at me. I never dreamed this would be me. I know we didn't ask for it, but I gotta run. I just gotta go tell him thank you. And he runs back in your Bible to Jesus. I just want a chance. You're gonna do what you told me to do. I just had to come back and tell you thank you. I still can't believe it happened. And I know it would have never happened without you and your words. This is what Jesus said. Were there not ten? Where are the nine? Even a greater desire in Naaman than to see his wife and his children and the king was to see the prophet. He turns his horse around and goes wide open back to the house of Elijah. Beats on the door. Open up! Don't worry, I'm not going to do nothing. I ain't going to try to kill you. I ain't going to try to hurt you. I did what you said. I dipped in the jar. My life been changed. I don't want nothing. I don't want nothing from you. I just need to see you. The door opens. Lost you standing before him. He says, man, look. I don't know how you did it. I don't, know, I don't know how you get your magic. I don't know how you work your magic. I don't know what all this is. All I know, I think about that blind man that Jesus healed. He goes into the temple. They start asking him, wait a minute. You can't see you've been blind all your life. You know, how'd you get your healing? I right, man, Jesus. He told me to do something, but I did it. And now I'm healed. He said, hey, let me ask you a question. Do you believe he is who he says he is? Listen to the words of the blind man that was hit the hill. Let it sink in, man. This is what's going to happen in the room. People that ain't never been in church in their life. They don't know how to do church. They don't know how to look like churchy. They don't know. They don't even know when church starts. They ain't never heard praise and worship. They ain't never stood in a service in their life. They're going to be like the blind man. They looked at him. The Pharisees looked at the blind man and said, Is he who he says he is? And the blind man said, I'll just be honest with you. I'm going to be real. I don't know. I don't know if he is who he says he is or not. All I know is I once was blind, but now I see. Oh, I got up this morning blind, and now I can see. He might not be everything he can say, but he's something. Something happened. Am I preaching right, Savior? Are you glad you came to church on Palm Sunday? Wait a minute, I'm almost through. I don't know how you worked your magic, Elijah. I don't know you didn't speak to all the magic potions over me like they do back in Syria. All I know, when I came up that seventh time, my life's been changed. Listen to what he says. 
Go back and read your Bible. He bows on his knee before the man of God. And he says these words in your Bible. Surely the God of Elisha, the Lord God of Elisha is the only God. That tells me when he got back to Syria, he got back to Syria an evangelist of Jehovah God. He said, I don't know what else to do. But any time one of the magicians or one of the sorcerers ever did anything for us, they always expected payment. So I've got all this silver and all this gold. I want to give it to you. I want to honor you. And how many knows? Truth is, he probably needed it. Elisha probably needed it. Because the life of a, of a prophet in the Old Testament many times was a life of loneliness and isolation. A time of, of being fed by birds. Are you hearing me? He says, Please take a gift from your servant. As the Lord lives before whom I stand. Elisha says, as the Lord lives for whom I stand, I will receive nothing. And he urged him to take it. But he refused. Verse 16. Naaman knew it was a trap. Naaman knew it was the old, I mean, excuse me, Elisha knew it was a trap. It was a trap. The same trap that every preacher that's ever failed has fell into. They all start out, most all of them start out seeing miracles happen and giving God all the credit and taking none of them for themselves. But at some point they begin to be surrounded by Gehazis. Yes, men. Who began to tell them, you're special, you're different, you're chosen. Oh, no, 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 I'm just a man. And then they buy into the lie and they begin to expect the gifts. Gehazi said, God will share his glory with no one. All I did was say what he told me to say. It had nothing to do with me. He begged him. Nope, ain't gonna happen. So finally Naaman understands and he leaves. But standing right next to the man of God who did it right was a servant that heard every word and bought in. He said to himself, well, wait a minute. I love you, Elisha. But you didn't even have the decency to get up and even face this man. I'm the one that told him to do what he did. Ain't nobody giving me no credit. He wouldn't even got his miracle if I wouldn't have done what I was told to do. It's a trap. So as he sees that horse leaving him and the dust leaving him and that gold and that silver in the bag, 
he begins to hear the serpent in the tree. Wait a minute. He didn't say you couldn't take nothing. He just said he didn't want nothing. So Gehazi reads your Bible. Says, Prophet, love you, sir. But I, I, I need to go outside and feed the cows and feed the pigs or something. He made up some kind of excuse to get out of the tent. He grabs a couple of people with him, gets on a horse, chasing the dust, right alongside. Because you know good and well. He, he's trying, he, he, Naaman ain't going beside the Jordan now. He's taking the fast way home. He's trying to get home to his wife. So here, here's that book. Catch up to him. Shut up, shut up, shut up. What is it? He recognizes Gehazi. It's in your Bible. What is it? Is every listen what he says? Is everything all right with your with your leader? What's wrong? Is there a problem? Honors him. There's honor coming from him. Gehazi begins to make up a lie and pull on the heartstrings of a brand new born again believer. He says, "There's some." There's some, there's some, there's a couple of guys back in the camp that are really in need. And they, they don't have any food and they don't have any sustenance. And, and I know that you're a blessed man and I wanted to catch you. I want to say something to you when we were there, but you got out too quick. I just want to ask you, would you, would you be interested in, in helping those two boys? Well, of course. What can I do? When somebody's been changed, they're ready to help the world. How much do you need? What can I do? Wouldn't it be great if you had those that silver and that silver? That'd be just about enough. Well, bind it up, tells the servant. Bind it up and give it to him. Anything that I can do to help fellow believers. The Bible says Gehazi takes it and gives it to his servants. It said, and he's, he lied to his own servants. It's even his own servants, the servants of Elisha, believes this is a true story. Just take it back to the camp and I'll take care of it when I get back. The Bible says he comes back by himself. Very cunning. Make sure that he comes back by himself and not with the servants. He instructed his servants where to put it. By himself he finds it. The Bible says he takes it into his own tent and hides it for himself. Somebody say it's the trap. Somebody say it's the same old trap. Let me say something very relevant to this moment. And it's a hard word. But get this in your spirit. We have to be careful to not want, want excuse me, we have to be careful to not want what the world has and bring it back to the camp. was still Syrian silver. That was being brought back to the camp. That is the problem with the modern church. 
instead of us impacting them. We have went to them and thought the only way we can reach them is to take something back in here from their camp. I remember in the 90s here at Rod Parsley, Dr. Rod Parsley saying, the world has become so churchy and the church has become so worldly, you can't tell the two apart. I remember Dr. Les Summerall saying it, Dr. Rod Parsley saying it, and I've probably said it a thousand times myself. There is much to be gained to a return to the discarded values of the past. Some of the things that we needed to carry into this generation, we left behind. And some of the things that we should have left in the last generation, we've carried into this moment. Gehazi gets back to the camp. And when he came to the citadel, verse 24, he took them from the hands of the servants and stored them away in his own house. Then he let the men go and departed. He was convinced he had did it. But the problem is, if you pull it off and nobody really knows you did it, no one. You really got away with it. You didn't get away with it. What he just forgot in his greed, he was sitting right next to the prophet when the prophet looked over at him and said, well, he's standing for the king right now. Asking to be delivered from leprosy. While they're sitting at home in his recliner. He goes, Gazi, get up and get ready. The Lord showed me right now. I can see them. They're mounting their horses. They're headed this way. He forgot that he served the man that God took in places where he wasn't. That God let him hear things when he wasn't even there. See things when he wasn't even there. See, we'll get so blinded by lust. The lust of the flesh. The lust of the eyes and the pride of life. But we'll convince ourselves we got away with it. Adam and Eve ate the fruit, expecting to fall over and die. They were naked in the shame, but they were not dead. They were like, okay, this is a weird feeling I'm having right now. Never felt this way. That's different. That's weird. They're like, I need to hide it. They get some leaves or something. I ain't preaching on any of the Bible. But they still told themselves, wait a minute, though. Maybe we pulled this thing off. If we now get to eat of the most awesome looking tree ever, and all we got to do is wear clothes and pants, that's it. Maybe we pulled it off. They thought they pulled it off until God came into the garden. They walked, they, they, chances are they probably walk around. They wouldn't hide. They probably wouldn't hide then. They start going about themselves, proud of themselves, admiring each other's uh, new outfits. <laughs> what do you wear? <laughs> but when the glory of the Lord came in the room, conviction, sin, 
put it off. Watch this. So then he said, I gotta get back to work. Go back in there and see what the prophet means. Walks in. Next, next verse. 25. I'm finishing. So he went in, stood before his master. The first words out of the mouth of Elisha. Verse 25. Where did you go, Gehazi? No, that's the right one. I'm going to ask you again, son. Where did you go? Gehazi had everything a man of God in that moment could ever want. How about you were the guy that served the double horseman? Everybody knew about Elijah, but you ain't even serving Elijah. You're serving the one that served Elijah. You're the one that you're serving the one that got the double portion of what was on Elijah. Amen. You thinking you're gonna pull this off? Where did you go, Gehazi? Does that also sound familiar? Where are you, Adam? Where are you hiding? Why are you hiding, Adam? How many of those these are questions he already knew the answer? Amen. Well, because we're naked. Hmm. Who told you you were naked? Let me give you a revelation. You were already naked. You didn't start being naked today. I made you naked. Those were all altar calls. Those were all chances for repentance. Elisha knew exactly where he went. But he wanted to give his servant a chance to repent. Where did you go, Gehazi? See, when you turn back on the anointing that's on your life and you choose to go to the, the world that you came out of, let me help you. It ain't going to feel like helping you, but it's going to help you. I'm going to give you a 100% prediction. Will never end good. It will either most of the time end very badly on this side of eternity, or it will certainly end very badly for you for all eternity. The pleasures for a moment will not be worth what happened. Then he said to him, Did not my heart go with you with the man? Turn back when the man turned back from his chariot to meet you? Is it time to receive money and receive clothing, olive groves and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male and female servants? Is that what you think what we do is? Preacher! Is posing in the front of your Mercedes what you think this is? Shut up! Is that what you think this is? Got your gold chain propped up for somebody else's Mercedes. Because you ain't got that money to get your own. But you want to act like then you got one. 
He said, therefore, the leprosy that was on Naaman shall cling to you and all of your descendants forever. And he went out from the presence of the double portion man, fully leprous, as white as snow. He didn't just say leprosy. He said the leprosy that was on Naaman. That was meant to stay in the water. Your rebellion pulled it out. This is not a leprosy that will begin today with the nervous system and affect you over years like it did Naaman. No, you will walk out of here in the same exact condition that he stood before us. Your ear will fall off in front of me right now. And not just you, but your generations. Gehazi could have been in line. Are you hearing me? He was doing the exact same job that Elisha was doing for Elijah. He was the coat holder. He was the hand washer. He was in a place for a potential of a triple anointing, of a generation anointing. But he threw it all away. And the age-old leprosy trap The church has ran after Naaman too long. It would have been one thing if he'd have ran after Naaman just to say, hey, before you go, let me hug you one time and tell you what an amazing miracle this is. But he was running after the things and the possessions of the world in which Naaman came out of. I'm close. We see a remnant that is rising. The, per, the pastors, I said this 10 years ago, and I'm not, I'm not feeling validated by this. It breaks my heart that this is happening. But 10 years ago, I said the day of the big preacher is over. The day of the celebrity preacher is coming to an end. And it is slowly coming. I don't want to see any man crumble up, but I would like to see all the men and women of God that, are, that have major influence in their life to understand why God gave them that influence. That it's not about them. It's about the lives that he's put in front of them. Are you hearing me? While the purging, the great falling away is happening, there is a remnant of lepers becoming leaders. Who are not afraid to dip in the Jordan seven times. Not six times the number of man. Not doing things the way man does them. But all the way to where God does them. The mighty men of God are waking up. The faithful men of God are rising. The younger generation is being empowered. I'm going to read to you what the Holy Spirit gave me. But we cannot allow ourselves to forget the faithful Joshua's and Caleb's. The Joshua and Caleb's and the Shamas. If you don't know who the Shamas are, Shama was just simply a faithful man. He was known as one of the mighty men of David. He's a mighty warrior. But even the warriors get to a place where their bodies cannot cooperate like they used to, so they go back to the farm. There's one mighty man who fought alongside the king of, of Jerusalem, the king of that was after God's own heart, was now a simple pea patch farmer. 
The Bible said he sold a field of lentils and peas. That was all he cared about. He didn't care about glory. He didn't care about name recognition. He just wanted to feed his family and be a blessing to his neighbors. And here came the same ones that we're preaching about today, the Syrians. Same people that Naaman was a part of. Came in to take over that pea patch because they could see how wonderful it was growing. And this simple man with no, no Gehazi, just him and God, maybe his kids, walks out with a walking cane. Prop it upon that piece of wood. And I have my peace. Oh man, who in the world do you think you are to talk to the mightiest army in the world? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because my name is Shama. And Shama, in case you didn't know it, Mr. Syrian soldier, means present in your face. And one of the compound names of the God that I serve, that put me in this valley, that I talk to and pray to every day, that walks with me as I walk through the aisles of these peas, is my God. And his name is Jehovah. And Jehovah Jireh is the Lord my provider. He provided me for this, but today, scepter up just like Moses did over a pea patch instead of an ocean and I say to you today I know you can't take my pea patch because my family, my kids my grandkids, my generations to come will live in this valley, will prosper in this valley because I am Shabbat the Lord God is present something like this for the elders of this house we will honor the Joshua's and Caleb's who didn't die in the wilderness with the rest of them that were old enough to take their mountains in their old age we will honor those that have fought the battles before us we will honor those that were on their face weeping when there were 10 and 15 people in this place and we didn't have nothing but somebody's kitchen in their house and my pulpit was a bar stool. God opened the door for us to go to the rock school. It was in the worst condition you can imagine. It had been abandoned for eight years. It was a crack house. Prostitutions were working out of the rock school in Pinson, Alabama. I walked in, I'm being real with you, graphic. I walked in on a woman in the act of prostitution with a man on the stage where the very spot that would become my office on the back of that stage ran out. 
young needles that we couldn't even count laying everywhere. Graffiti so grotesque and vulgar that when we brought the church in to see it, we had to take kills and kills the walls, hang, hang bl blankets over certain things. It would only let the women and the kids even see parts of it. It was so disgusting. The outside of the building was so overgrown, you couldn't even see what the building used to look like. But this church showed up one day in work clothes and work gloves. Maybe what, 15, 20 people? And while the city of Pinson drove by wondering what was going on, some were like laughing and mocking. We were out there with chainsaws and weed eaters and trash bags. We began to see something in that building that nobody else could see. The lane was there. Many, some of you were there. I want to do this quickly, so I'm going to give you this box. I want you to do this quickly. Laying in the midst of the rubble, somebody cut something down. How it got there, I don't know, because it ain't my story. Delaying what happened that day? <laughs> well, it's 19 years ago. Okay. 19 years ago. 19 years ago. 2003. And we were, everybody, I think everybody there got poisoned up that week. <laughs> but I had seen that stick laying there from all the rubble and stuff. And so after everybody was wrapping up and everybody was putting everything back together, I walked up there to get it because it just looked neat. And it was gone. I couldn't find it, so I was walking around looking around. And Pastor Wayne, where you at, Pastor Wayne? Come here, come here. Come here, Pastor Wayne, you read it. Pastor Wayne pulled up in his truck and he said, what are you doing? I said, I was just looking for this stick I saw. And he said, this one? And he pulled it out of the back of his truck. And I said, yeah, yeah that's it. I said, I just thought it was a cool stick. He goes, well, here, let me give it back to you. And I said, no, I, I, don't, want, I don't want to take this stick from you. I just wanted to acknowledge. I just wanted to see it, get it. But I want to tell you, Pastor Wayne and Sister Rita are people of deference. And that's the way his heart has always been. And he said, no, no, I want you to have this stick. I want you to have it. And he handed it back to me. And so, you know how things get lost over the years, moves. And so when we moved back in October, I saw it again and I found it in my basement. And I immediately began to think about that day. And I told Michelle, I said, I said, I'm going to get this stick ready and I'm going to give it back to Pastor Wayne. And I, and, and I told, had Brother Mac, I, Mac done a great job on this, this stick. This thing is going to be here when we're all coming. <laughs> but I told Pastor, uh, Brother, Brother Mac to get it ready for me. He has spent months. I don't know what all he's done to this thing. But like I said, it's got two SRC 2003 on it and Shama on it. And I want to give it to you with one condition. <laughs> um, 30 or 40 years from now, if the Lord hasn't come back, and when you're done leaning on this staff, you go to be in the presence of the Lord, I want it back so that my last years I can lean on the same God you've leaned on. Amen.
you have felt a brokenness, even a shame, that you have let somebody down. I say to you right now, Wayne Burnett, you have never one moment since I have ever known you in my life. From before I was ever a pastor and I was just married into the family. To this day, there's never been a moment that I have ever questioned you. There's never been a day, not one moment, Wayne Burnett, you've ever disappointed me let me down you've ever disappointed and let God down you have been faithful you have walked through five buildings you have listened to words come out of my mouth that seemed impossible you bought in you were my shoulder when I wanted to quit three separate occasions that I know of the only reason I stayed was you let me get it all back. You spoke in my life words that saved me. I stand before you today. walking what I walk in. Going where I'm going. Because you're going where I'm going. Because every place we've ever gone as a church, we come together. As our bodies get older, our joints shut down. Things happen. It's a trap. The enemy's trying to tell you these young bucks, it's time for them to do it. Well, it is. They will not know how to do it without you. So when Delane came to me and told me, I had been feeling in my life, in my heart, that this is the year. I'm going to do it one time. So it takes away from the honor. We're going to honor ones we have with us, why we still have them with us, and thank God for the price that they have paid. Amen. 2003, when you picked that up, you had no idea what was ahead of you. Never dreamed what would happen. Station alert has arrived.
to handle it like in the name of Jesus. We hand this to you. Wayne, you make these, don't you? God said, you were the first for a reason. Because I need you to make me a few. That I'm about to use. God's going to touch those fingers. He's going to touch those hands to do what needs to be done. For the scepters of faithfulness and the shamas that will be handed down from this moment. Take it. Declare it over your family right now. Say it. I am Shama. You come up here and you hug them and you honor them and you just tell them thank you. God bless.